The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... Power Trip of Wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz, and with me today is a great interview and a legendary star. He is, of course, the former junior heavyweight champion of Alabama, a former NWA and WCW superstar, Action Mike Jackson. Mike, welcome to the two-man Power Trip of Wrestling. John, it is my privilege to to be here, and thank you guys so much for calling me. Now, what in the world have you been up to? I feel like you're still active. You're still wrestling after all these years and many decades. But what have you been up to? I'm still active. Like you say, I work about two or three days a week. Uh, uh, I'm fortunate enough. I'm blessed. And I get several calls and go to different areas and work for different people, independent shows. And so uh, I'm still working pretty much. Uh, I'm 71 years old, but I'm in probably as good a shape as I've ever been in my life. And uh, I'm blessed and, and I'm still working. How do you stay in such great shape? Well, I'd like to say it's all me, but it's not. I do I do exercise every day. I go to the gym. I work out. I do a lot of cardio. Uh, I do the bicycle. I do weights. I, I'm not. I don't do a lot of heavy lifting because I'm not strong. But uh, I just try to tone up. But good Lord's blessed me and give me some good health. And my blood pressure is good. Cholesterol is good. So I try to just do the rest of it and, and just take care of it. But so far, so good. Just seems crazy. I mean, you're in you know great shape, and, and you're still wrestling. It feels like most people, when they get to that age, there's no way they're thinking about getting back in the ring. Well, I've thought about that a lot of times, but I just keep going back. <laughs> what kind of keeps you going back, though? Like, what's like, what's kind of your your motivation? Well, I love the business. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of guys don't understand that, but I really do. I've been doing it for, uh, this is my 52nd year, as a matter of fact. I started my first match was in June of 1972, but uh, I was in the business a little bit before that, did a referee in, putting up rings and, you know, uh, keeping time for the TV station and just different things. And I just have a love for it. You know, it's it's just one of the things that I just love doing. Man, it's just one of those things. It's like, wow, I, I can't believe, like, you know, you're still wrestling. And to me, it's always like, what keeps you going? What keeps you still wrestling? I guess you're just, it, you're, like you said, it's just that love of the business that you It is. Keep, you can't give it up, right? 
Well, I, you know, some people love, uh, I guess, being a lawyer. Some people love selling cars. And I was just called to do this. It seems like a long time ago. I saw it. I watched it when I was eight years old. And I lived in a little town, and I know you're probably not familiar with Alabama, but it's a little town called Columbia, Alabama. Of course, in those days, there was no cable, you know. The, there was one or two channels that came on every Saturday. I watched it, and the first time I saw it, I was hooked. I was eight years old, but I said, man, one of these days, i got to do this. So I, I watched it and kept up with it over the years and finally moved to Birmingham, which is a much bigger town, and, and, and was in Birmingham for a long time. And, and you know, where they had the, uh, the NWA was there. I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever heard of Nick Goulas, oh, NWA. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was that was my first first full time job. Now I did do some independent shows for about thirteen months, but uh, they had a they had the uh, big city auditorium here in Birmingham, uh, and they had the big they shows there every uh, every Monday night, and I'd go every Monday night and watch them, and then they'd go up to uh, Channel Forty Two and watch it on TV and be a part of the TV crowd on Saturday night and just follow the guys around and man just got into it. So just been a part of my life, major part of my life. NWA Mid America, right down there with Nick Goulas and the kind of like the Tennessee uh, Birmingham area. He he was he did the Tennessee and and uh, did a lot in Mississippi and and uh, did a little bit in Georgia and Florida, but mostly it was just Alabama and Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. So when you first got in there, what was kind of your impression of the business? You took to it easily. Were were you immediately just kind of a natural, or did it take some time to get used to it? Well, to believe it or not, and, and you know, it, 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 this is a funny business. I mean, it's just like baseball or football or basketball. Some people are just born a natural ability to do this stuff. I, I didn't have anybody train me. I trained myself. I know that's hard to believe because, you know, there are schools around and people are always talking about I trained so-and-so and they went to school and for six months or whatever. But uh, I, I really got into it by going up to uh, being a part of that uh, Birmingham crowd on Monday nights and, and Saturdays. But the guy that uh, that did the uh, bell ringing and uh, uh, put up the ring, really, for the, the show on Saturday night was uh, was a referee's son. There was a referee in Birmingham called Bob Holland, and, and he did the referee. And so when his son decided he was going to go to uh, college and he left for college, they asked me if I wanted the job. I said, yeah, I, I would love it. And, you know, I'm up there anyway, so why not make a little money while I'm doing it? So got to meet the guys. And, you know, Bob Holland was, uh, had a regular job, and, and he, uh, was, you know, he would go do, uh, you know, I'm sure you know what spot shows are, independent mm -hmm. shows. And he would go do those. He'd be tired. He'd say, look, you can go with me, set the ring up. And one day he said, hey, man, I'm just exhausted from working all night. I said, you referee? So I refereed. I kind of like that. So little bit by little bit, I got into it, and I'm kind of glad I did because I learned from the very ground up. But I trained myself. Just you know, when I put up the ring up, I'd get in, turn flips, play around, just do whatever I wanted to do, and then you know, and pretty much just uh, watched, watched it, you know, because I was there every Saturday night and every Monday night, so I watched those guys, and you know, just learned a little bit as I went. So kind of got myself going. Now, when you're kind of doing that and stuff, does anybody say to you like, hey, you know? almost like they take you into their wing or, or they almost kind of leave you out there and you're, you know, you're out on your own. Pretty much on your own. Cause I was usually doing it when nobody was around. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't see a whole lot of people and a lot of people saw me. So, you know, it worked out pretty good for me. I just kind of trained myself. You know, I've worked with a lot of guys over the years, wrestled a lot of guys with natural ability, like Brad Armstrong. First time I ever wrestled him, he, I had his first match with him. Uh, his his very first match, and man, I was worried to death. I thought, oh no, I hate these guys. First match, he was like he'd been in business twenty years. Guys like Alan Martin with the Rock and Roll RPMs, and you know some of those guys are just natural ability. And and, and I'm not going to brag about it, but I think I had it. 
<laughs> so I just yes. did it myself. <laughs> yep, for sure. Um, definitely going to get back to Brett Armstrong just in a second, but when you're in NWA Mid-America, you know, early 70s, mid-70s, who's in there with you? Who Who's uh, some of the other guys that we might know? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember any of these guys because I don't know your age, but Lynn Rossi, Tojo Yamamoto, uh, Mario Milano, the Blue Infernos, Corsica Joe, Gypsy Joe, those were the kind of guys were the superstars in those days. Now, was the Gilberts or uh, Tommy Gilbert, was he there at that point? Tommy and Eddie, uh, Tommy Gilbert, Eddie Marlin, all that group was over uh, in the, uh, the, more over in the Tennessee area, more like Memphis area. But, uh, they, yes, they were. Tommy Gilbert, I, I was on a lot of shows with Tommy and Eddie Marlin and some of those guys. So, yeah, they were, uh, they were good inspirations for me. I worked a lot of shows with those guys, tag team with them a lot uh, over in Memphis and did some stuff with them. So it was really good. What did you think about the the guys in that territory? Did you think that you know that they were great, good? Like, what was kind of just your overall feelings on the talent in that territory? Well, I mean, for, for me, it was definitely I, I thought they were fantastic because I was getting to work with them. You know, I mean, that was my first full time job in 1973. I, I did independent shows from about 1973. I started in '72. I think I did like 13 months. But Nick Lewis finally uh, gave me an opportunity. He and me and my tag team partner. And on Christmas night of 1973, I started for those guys and moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and started full-time that next month. So they gave me a good spot. So those guys, to me, they were great. I mean, Lynn Rossi helped me out a lot. There was a lot of guys that helped me and took me under the wing. Frank Morrell, you know, guys like that. I don't know if you remember the, some of those names, but Lynn Rossi always helped me. Jerry Jarrett helped me a lot. Some of those guys really helped me a lot. Who was your first big feud, like your first big one-on-one feud? Oh, let me think. Now, on a full time, on a full time one would probably, when 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 my partner and myself moved to Nashville, we wrestled the Samoans. Now that was that was just a group out, you know, that Pensacola group out of Samoans. There's a whole bunch of them, but we did a we did a uh, we did a, uh, some pretty good matches with those guys over the years in different areas, all through his territory. Of course, you know, in those days everything was territory. I guess you you know what yeah. that is. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it, we were in that territory. We kind of married to those guys. It seemed like for months, but we did a lot of a lot of shows with those guys, programs with those guys. So when you're first starting out, is it a lot of travel? Are you, are you on the road a lot? Are you traveling most of the time? Well, now when I was full time, definitely. Now, now nowadays, uh, I do I do some traveling, not as near as much as I used to. But now I'll go to. Uh, you know, I, I'm here in Birmingham, Alabama now, but I do a lot of stuff in Georgia. I do a lot of stuff in Tennessee. I go to Mississippi occasionally, but most of the things around here is in Alabama, just according on whoever calls. Now, I have been to, you know, I did, I did the uh, House of Hardcore in Philadelphia for Tommy Dreamer, and I did the Impact Show in Atlanta for the Impact TNA guys. And, uh, so I travel pretty much wherever, I, whoever needs me. I just go where I'm called. Yeah, that is pretty cool if if you think about it, what you've been able to do, House of Hardcore, and then even on Impact on TV that, you know, they had you and Johnny Swinger in a match and stuff. Yes. I mean, yes. that's pretty cool. Do you love that, that the guys kind of remember you and, and bring you in? Well, I don't know if you saw the Impact tape, but uh, I, when I went to do that, you know, it was it was a deal kind of like it was going to be one of the young bucks, M. Jackson, supposed to be Matt Jackson is what they were trying to, I guess, get over. And then when I came out, it was a whole different thing. And, you know, it's kind of going to be a, 
I think I think they thought. Now they didn't tell me this, but I think they thought it was going to be kind of a comedy thing. Old man, you know, seventy years old wrestling these young guys, and you know, doing this, that, and the other. But after the match was over, I don't know if you knew it, but it went viral. I mean, it went, it, it mm-hmm. just went crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was like a wildfire. People called me from all over the country, said, "Man, I saw that match on TV," and they came back as soon as my match was over. And, and what really made me feel good it was the whole dressing room gave me a standing ovation. I don't know if you saw that, but uh. When I came back to the dressing room, every, all the men and women were there and standing ovation. And a lot of these guys I never had seen in my life, you know. So that made me feel real good. And they offered me three more TV tapings as soon as I got back. I don't think they had that plan. But they, uh, it, got, it got over so good that they called me back and said, hey, look, I want you to do the next three, B ta- t- uh, three TV tapings. But the COVID hit. And when the COVID hit, you know, there's no crowds. And uh, – so everything is on hold. They did call me not too long ago and say, look, we want you to come back as soon as this COVID mess is over. We want to start you right back on TV. So who knows? Good Lord holds the future, I guess. We'll see. That is great. So that means yep. we could see a, a return to impact, impact wrestling. Well, hopefully uh, if everything goes good and this COVID ever gets over and they start doing back with the crowds and, you know, putting people in the building instead of just doing the TV tapings without anybody there, uh, you know, they they promised me that I would come back. So, you know, I'm hoping everything will work out to do that. Who contacts you, like, to get you into Impact? Who's the one that reaches out? Uh, Tommy Dreamer called me. Tommy Dreamer was the one that called me and set that thing up for me and told me that's what he wanted to do, wanted me to come to the Impact and do it. I met him at – I don't know if you've ever been to the uh, the big fan fest they do in Charlotte every year for uh, – uh, mm-hmm with all the guys. Well, I, I was there and I did a show there and I had never seen Tommy dream, never met him, but, uh, I did go up and introduce myself to him before the show started. And I asked him to watch the match and he said he was going to watch the whole match. And I didn't think he would. I thought, you know, everybody will tell you that. And then they'll go, you know, get busy. Cause he was, he was kind of running in the back and organizing everything back in the back. But, uh, <clears throat> he came out and watched the absolute whole show. And as soon as I came back, he said, would you like to come to Philadelphia? I said, absolutely. Uh, he flew me up to Philadelphia and hotels, and I mean, treated me like a, a gold, and, and um, then then got me on the impact thing, and then the COVID hit, messed me up. Yeah, you were on a, you know, a little bit of a, of a roll there, a bit of a, a resurgence. I mean, you yep. used to be on TV all the time, you know, yeah. stuff, but definitely a resurgence. Were you shocked by by that? Well. In a way, yes, because you know a lot of when I was with WWF for a while and, and WCW and all, you know, and I understand these kind of things. A lot of guys don't, but you know they were looking for young talent, you know, young guys. And I'd been on that TV it, it, for gosh, fourteen or fifteen years, and you know I was just an enhancement guy. They call it now, but I call it a job guy. That's what I was doing there to to help guys get over and, t- and teach them how to work. And uh, so you know. I, to me, it was really it was good for me, but I understood, you know, that they got to put these younger guys on there that 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 making a name for themselves. So, so it, it's just it's a business, and you just have to understand and look at it as a business, and that's what I've always treated it as a business. But it's pretty showing um, a lot of respect to the fact that they're like, okay, you know, you're obviously seventy years old, but we want you back on TV. We're going to spotlight you a bit. We're yeah. Gonna show you, you know, show you can still wrestle and surprise some folks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a great match with Johnny Swinger. I don't know if you know who Johnny Swinger is, but but uh, oh, yeah. I had I had a really really good match with him, and it just worked out good. And you know, like I said, it went viral, and everybody was calling. And and you know, I I, I guess they they maybe flooded that impact with some stuff. And I know the the uh, internet was buzzing, so you know it was good for me. Uh, it really worked out good for me. So I'm, I'm hoping everything will work, and I'll get to get back. 
What did you think about your newfound fame or your refound fame? At that <laughs> well, it, it does help me with a lot of independent shows, so I was really appreciative of the fact that I got to do that because not only not only did I get me back on TV, which is, which is really important, but every time that you get on TV or you get something involved like that, or even like doing this interview that we're doing, people hear this, they want to call you, so they want to get you. So it got me several more bookings out of that thing, so I was really happy. I had people from Ohio call me and you know, once this COVID thing's over, I've got a lot of bookings planned if everything works out. So it, it was good for me, really good for me. When you think about it, like, you know, like obviously it gives you a career resurgence, you're back on TV, stuff like that. But did a lot of people mention to you, like, oh, I remember you from this or I remember you from that? Or they oh, yeah. You from, or are they seen you for the first time? Or is it maybe oh, no. for both? I think the real true wrestling fans, all of them that, that, that call me back, were probably you know probably watched the old Georgia Championship wrestling for years, the WCW tapes and all, and, and and most of them knew me. A lot of them knew me. You know, I sold I sold a lot of DVDs off that. I have DVDs, and and a lot of people call and say, hey, have you got any any of your matches? Can you send them to me? So man, I I ended up doing good. Sold some T-shirts out of it, so it it helped me financially and uh, uh get me some good bookings. So I was really tickled to death. That is great. And of course, you know, the pandemic hit and COVID yeah. hit, so that just stinks. I'm actually surprised that there's still some independence and stuff that are running that, you know, the COVID kind of hasn't stopped them because I was almost fearful it might kill off the independence, you know, this whole well, thing. It, it hurt us a lot, and all the good, the, the bigger shows. I'm not going to say the good, better shows, but the, the bigger shows that have buildings that you know are owned by the, by the state or the city or whatever, shut them down because they, they social distancing and everything. But now the independent show, I do a lot of independent show. Matter of fact, I did two last week. And I got two or three coming up. I got, I've got, I'm booked every Saturday all the way up for the next three or four months. But the good thing is that they do social distance all of those guys, uh, and then they do check your temperature when you come in. They're going by every guideline they can, just like in the uh, like in the restaurants and everything like that. And and uh, so far, it's been pretty good. The, the independent shows we're running around here, we've not had any outbreak of it from from the wrestling park. So, you know, we're filling out forms every time you go to a show, and you know, you have to have a, a, a doctor's report and you have to have a COVID test. And so they're doing everything they possibly can. They just everybody wanted to get back to work, so I guess they kept pressuring them until they got got them back going. When you're entering in these locker rooms, what is it like nowadays compared to? you know, the eighties and the seventies and stuff. What, what are the guys like now? And what's the locker room like now? Well, it's a, it's a whole different world. I mean, and I say this all the time. I tell it to guys and you know, some, some listen, some don't it, it wrestling's a different world than it was back when I got it. When I got in the seventies, it was really hard to get in. They didn't take everybody. You know, now you go to an independent show, you got a guy who wants to train, he's trained that week and the next week he's wrestling. That's not the way it should be. You know, you get a pair of guys get with kick pads and tennis shoes on and they're wrestlers. You know, that's that's not the way. When I, uh, it took me a long time to get in with Nick Goulas. That's why I left and went and did the independent shows with those other people because I couldn't get in with those guys. And then when I finally got in with those guys, you know, that it, it was a whole whole different world. But uh, it's a lot different than it is now. Guys don't respect the business like they did. I respect this stuff. Well, I'm not going. I'm not ever going to try to write a book and expose everything I ever know. And you know, I, I, it's been good to me, and I want to be good to it. You know. Do you think the guys are softer now? Because that is the common thing that a lot of the older veterans have been saying that today's generation of wrestlers might be a little bit softer. Oh yeah, definitely without a doubt. I mean, I I work with guys like Lou Fez and Harley Race and those kind of guys like it, Les Thornton, uh, Les Charles, those kind of guys right there. They would tie you up in a heartbeat. And to get in, I mean, to train, 
I mean, they break, you know, you get your arm broke, your leg broke. I mean, they just, it was just much harder in those days to get in and do it. And it, to me, to me, it's a little bit more soap opera type thing. And, and uh, I'm not knocking those guys because they're making money, and that's the good thing. That's all. That's the most important thing, I guess, for you guys feeding your families. I, I respect everything they do. But, but uh, you would have never said, saw Lou Thales go over the top rope backwards diving, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, wouldn't work. But. He could tie you up, though, don't think. And, and those old wrestlers, I met, you know, at that fan fest I was talking about with Charlotte, I met guys like Danny Hodge and, and uh, uh, man, guys like that that were just real shooters and, what, what, you know, what we call shooters in the business. And uh, So it was a whole different world, yeah. Do you think that the guys today and, and the style today is just totally, not you know, not as believable, too many dives, too many flips? Well, yeah, I do in a way, and I do a lot of that. I mean, I, I still do because I, I'm a small guy, and I knew. Of course, the guys like me and Hector Guerrero was doing stuff that these guys are doing now, and they're trying to get all the credit for it. I was diving through ropes and, and, and doing Herkacrona head scissors uh, uh, 40 years ago. You know, so was Hector Guerrero, guys like that. But, uh, you know, it, uh, I think it's a whole different world than it was nowadays. It, it, it's a... Uh, you know, it's just a lot, a lot more showmanship into it, a lot more soap opera, who's doing what or whatever the case might be, than it was just back in the old days. As far as kind of the guys today and the style, do you think that it just kind of can lead to just more injuries and, and like no psychology, really? Oh, yeah. The injuries are definitely there. That's why guys are hurt all the time. I mean, you're doing this and you're, you know, you're watching some guy, you know, and then some, you got to go out there and do do more than he did and you got to do this. And, you know, you this guy dives through the middle rope and you got to dive over the top rope. You know, yeah, that's, there's a lot more injuries going to happen through this kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't think these guys' longevity is going to last near as long as it did for guys like Luthez and Harley Race and Ric Flair, those kind of guys. Yeah, I think it's a whole different world. Do you think the way that the, it's wrestling is gone, like goes on today, where it's basically more move centric and less emotion? You think that is also like a, a big killer? Like it's not all just about the moves? Yeah, I, I would think so. You know, it, you mentioned word psychology. That that's what I that's what I try to teach when I train guys. You, it's got to it's got to be believable. It's got to make sense. I mean, if you, you you know you can't shoot a guy with a gun, him get up the neck and, and take an arm drag. You know, I mean, you, some things you just got to be. Some guy something like in the old days, if you took a suplex. They, you were carried out of the ring. Now they do three suplexes to, and, and follow it up with an arm drag. You know, it's it's a lot different than it used to be. Definitely. Do you think that that hurts the business though in the long run? Maybe, maybe it, obviously it can evolve and stuff. But do you think that it hurts the business in the long run when the guys are just no selling pretty much everything? Yeah, yeah, I, I I think it does because what about the next guy who goes out there and does sell? You know, what about the next guy that goes out there and does this move? You know, so it does take it away in a lot of ways. I think so. Yes, without a doubt. Yeah. When you're in there with some of the younger guys of today, are you like trying to tr- like basically train them on the spot and say, "Oh no, let's slow it down and do stuff like that," or, or are you going to adapt to their style? No, when I train, I train, I, I train just like I think it should be done. I train from the very beginning. You know, uh, there's five basic moves in wrestling in my book, and that's the lockup, and that's the arm drag, and the hip toss, and the uh, uh, snap mare. That's uh, those headlock takeover. Those are the five things. And to me, everything revolves off those five moves. Yeah, and, and a lot of them don't do that anymore. A lot of them come down the ramp that are already into the match. But uh, 
you know, you take away the you take away the headlocks, you take away the arm drags, you take away the the lockups, and and uh, you know you're not doing any old school stuff at all, hardly. Yeah, there's a lot, like a lot of the guys today, which is very rare. It's only a few guys, but of the ones that are kind of that old school style, the ones that I tend to like a little bit more. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like I, I kind of gravitate to those guys. Not that they say anything bad about the guys that do the flips and stuff. It's just that some of it is yeah. just, it's too much almost. Like yeah. They're they're doing too much out there. Well, that's as exactly what I tell those guys. You know, <clears throat> people are not going to remember 30 minutes of, of a high spots. You know, they're going to remember one or two things, and you got to make sure that, that that's what they, you want them to remember. You know, you can do a thousand moves, but it's like popping popcorn. You can only pop it one time. Once that stuff's popped, it's popped. That's what I try to tell those guys. Work up to that, you know, up to that fever pitch. Do you have a training school, or you're like, where do you train your guys? I, I, wherever we're at, uh, we we set up the ring at these independent shows, and I have them travel to wherever we're at. And that way, we don't have a school because it got into you know insurance, and it got into the building, and it's got into you know guys. Some guys don't show up and stuff like that. So what I do is I train them wherever I'm at. If we're setting up the ring in in one of the towns, and they're supposed to be there at four o'clock to train, we train from four to five. And hours is, is is all I need. I mean, I can train them. In, I do ten lessons. I, I, I train a lot of. I trained a lot of guys. A lot of guys have done really well. I trained ten lessons, and, and and if they can't do it, I'm honest. If they can't do it the first two or three times, I'm just going to tell them, you know, guys, you, I don't think you can do this. I'll be honest with them up front. But you don't. It don't take six months for me that. But my problem, my deal is they train, but I, I get them booked and also get their money, you know, make their money back. So that's a that's something that I try to do to make sure that they get all their money back. And that's good though. Kind of, I know some trainers out there that'll keep the guys going even if the guy may not make it because they're giving them money exactly. and supplying an income. So it's almost like they're not using them, but they are using them. Obviously, exactly. That's exactly what I I get calls all the time from people who've been trained and so and so trained them and and they 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 want me to book them and I, I say why don't he book you? Well, he, you know he he don't he don't do that anymore. Well, I didn't make any money off of your training, so you know I, it's not my job to book you. Guys that I train is the guys that I book until I make sure they make every penny that they they put into it back, and then after that, if they want to stay with me, they stay with me because I run a lot of independent shows myself, fundraisers for schools and you know bands and football teams and stuff like that around here because money's tight in, in the school system. So I do several fundraisers, and uh, yeah, I book them on everything so that way they get their money back. Back when I was younger. Um let's just say maybe 20 years ago or so that was huge the fundraising things and the wrestling mm-hmm. was so popular is it right. so popular today the fundraising and the wrestling it, it really is uh, because uh you know it's still big on tv people still watch it so you know you go to these little schools and i run probably all six or eight schools a year i do a couple fairs and you know i do fundraisers for children's hospital and different things and uh yeah we usually have real good crowds at the, at the schools because we only do it once a year you know i i know i can't do it every week so we come and we do it about one time a year at the schools and just all all our schools. I've done some of the schools for eighteen or nineteen years. That's a big fundraiser. Yeah, that's awesome! Wow, it does very, well. Very cool. Yeah, it does well. Yeah, but I we couldn't remember. do it every week. You know, it's like a rodeo. You 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 might go. You may have a big crowd on Friday night, but if you have it every Friday, the crowd's going to drop down and just to the diehard rodeo fans, you know. So we don't do it every time because I don't want it ever not to do good. So if it doesn't do good, they might want to, you know, not want to do it anymore. So once a year is, is the most we do it. Maybe twice if somebody really, really wants to, but that's enough. Now, as far as Brad Armstrong, just to bring him back up, because 
wanted to kind of talk about a bunch of guys you've wrestled in a bunch of territories you've been in your career, but I think Brad is kind of a great starting point. So you wrestled him down there for the Fullers, I'm guessing. Exactly. His first match after he'd been trained, we, we were at the BR Speedway here in Birmingham, Alabama. And, man, I'm telling you, he was just – he was a guy with just natural ability. I'm a good – the Armstrongs are real all personal friends of mine. Of course, you know, Bullet just passed away here a few months ago. But uh, uh, I used the Armstrongs on all my shows as many years as I could because they're still the biggest draws around Alabama. I mean, everybody loves them here. And Brad and – I, and I don't, I don't want any of the rest of them to get mad at me, but I just always thought Brad had the, just the most natural t- ability and natural talent than anybody uh, of any – well, not just the Armstrongs, but just about anybody I know. I mean, he was just so smooth. Such a good worker. I don't know how. Oh, God. Somehow underrated. I don't even know how that's possible. Well, he he didn't have the size that a lot of those guys had when we were, you know, in the 80s. And, you know, everybody was big and all this kind of stuff. But but uh, he, he was just so good. Everything he did was just uh, right on time. I mean, he was just – he he was natural ability. That's, that's just about the best way to describe it. I mean, he was just made for that. Yeah. Do you, do you think maybe because he wasn't much of a promo guy, like that's maybe also why – small guy plus he's not a promo guy maybe that's why he didn't advance further in the business yeah well it could have been because you know nowadays they teach him when they train guys they even train them to do promos well they 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 didn't do that back in the day you just you you could you could talk or you couldn't talk and uh brad well you know what bullet wasn't much of a, a big interviewer person i mean he did most of his stuff in the ring but uh now scott was pretty good at it now brian at road dog was one, probably one of the best in the business but uh yeah, that could have hurt him a little bit, him not being able to, to do the interviews like they wanted or whatever the case might be. I mean, he was just a 30-second guy that would just tell it like it was. Now, as far as kind of Tory system and where you've been, let's just start off with maybe Georgia and, and getting into Georgia in the early 80s. How did you kind of get into a Georgia championship wrestling? Well, what I did was I had known Jerry Jarrett, and he was one of the bookers with Nick Gullis back in the Tennessee Territory. So I was there with them for that year or two years that I was full-time. And he called me one day, and he said, look, you, you mind coming over here and doing TV? And, you know, I, I don't know I, I, if any, if you can remember the territories, but the, in the territories, you know, you were there for a couple of years probably, and then they probably, you know, you'd probably go somewhere else. Because once you, once you were there for a long time and you lost, you know, you, you've been there for, you've done everything you could do, it was time to go somewhere else. So I was fading down, you know, my seven or eight bookings a week were going down to five and five was going down to three. And finally I was down to two or, you know, not making any money as a full time. So Jerry Jarrett was, had, had moved over to Atlanta to do that TV. And he had, he had called me and asked me if I wanted to come do TV. And I went first match I had on, on Atlanta TV was uh 1974 or five, I believe. And was, was Ray Stevens. I don't know if you remember him. He was the AWA heavyweight champion, Ray Stevens. Oh, yeah, one of the, one of the all-time greats. Oh, he was. And I had an unbelievable match. Never seen him again in my life, but he put me over like a million dollars. We had an unbelievable match, and they came right back to me and said, look, can you come back next week? Then I came up with it. I said, look, I got about three or four other guys that I work with all the time that would love to come too, and they said, well, bring them. So I ended up with 37 guys working for me. <laughs> so so I, I was going to a TV every week and bringing at least 10 or 15 guys. They would just call, The office would call me and just say, look, we need 12 guys for TV this week. Boom. So that's how I really got in with Georgia Championship. And then then through that, I got to work a lot of the house shows. I got to work at the Omni and, you know, several of the towns around in Georgia, the big towns uh, that they were doing their, you know, regular shows at. So it worked out really good for me. And, you know, Jerry Jarrett was probably my connection to get there. 
with Georgia in that territory. Was Ole Anderson like the head booker at that point? Ole was there. He was the booker at one time. All those years I was there, Ole was the booker. Robert Fuller one time was a booker. Buck Robley was a booker. Uh, but I would imagine uh, Ole, Ole, Ole probably did most of that the times I was there. He he was there most of the time. He was he was doing something somewhere all the time. He was in that he was in that you know office group there pretty much all the time. He did a good job. What do you think about him? So many people think he's very ornery, or maybe they don't have a great relationship with him. What was your kind of relationship, and what did you think? I about ne- him? never had any problem with Ole. I I respected the heck out of him. Uh, he was that he he was the kind of guy that tell you exactly what you needed to do. I mean, there was no. I mean, what you saw was what you got. I respected that for him. He was strictly business. I, I didn't. I, he he uh, he he took care of me. He put me in good matches. You know, he uh, he put me he helped. I helped a lot of guys learn how to work. Like you know, when the Road Warriors came, I worked with them. Gosh, a million times, and they came back and thanked me. Of course, they're both passed away now, but they came back and thanked me for those those times that we uh, worked together. Because uh, you know, I, I we had to slow them down. They were gonna kill somebody, <laughs> and it was gonna be me and Randy Barber probably most of the time. But uh, hmm. but Oli was Oli was good. He protected me. He took care of me, and you know, he gave me a lot of good bookings and. You know, let me go to good places. And if I ever wanted to work at the Omni or somewhere on a big show, I'd just say, hey, Ole, you know, I ain't been there in a while. Yeah, come on, son. You know, so he, they respected what I did, and it turned out good for me, you know. I've interviewed so many guys, and very few guys have, like, good things to say about him. Uh, Arn Anderson had good things to say, obviously, and yeah. uh, Thunderbolt Patterson had a lot of good things to say about Ole, but not a lot of other people had many, many good things well, to say. So you had some good interactions with him. Yeah, he wasn't the easiest person. I mean, I, we didn't go fishing together. We didn't go out to eat <laughs> together. But now, you know, I, I, I don't. That, that never. We were never pen pals. We didn't send each other Christmas cards. But on a business level, I love. I love working for him. You know, he. I, he I, matter of fact, I got to sit in on their meetings with JJ Dillon and all the ones that you know when they had their meetings. They let me sit because I had guys that was working for me. So I was filling in the you know TV job guy sheets and all. So I learned so much from him. That's why I, that's why I'm able to run a lot of shows because I learned so much from him over the years. You know, but he he was good to me. But we we never interacted anywhere except in wrestling. So you know, he was if I ever needed something, he was there. he no problem. He was there for me. So I you know I'm I have no problem. Now, of now, course, he might cuss you out or something. I mean, he he was he wasn't afraid to cuss. <laughs> So you were there, kind of. Maybe you seen him uh, get a little angry, but not really towards. Oh him. yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. No, I never had any pride. Did exactly what I was told to do. See, a lot of guys I don't understand this. You know, and I teach young guys this stuff all the time. You know, the Rock, the Rock. I, I, I worked with his daddy on a lot of shows, but I never, I never been on the show with a, with a Rock, Dwayne Johnson. But the Rock had so many one-liners that made sense. If these young guys would just listen to what he's saying. You know, one of his one-liners was so good, it was this. It said, know your role. You remember him saying that? Know your role. See, I knew my role. I was not big. When I went to Atlanta and I did that job, I knew that was what I was going to do. Now, a lot of guys wouldn't do it. I, I, I had guys walk away and say, hey, I'm not going to, you know, I don't, don't want to do that. I said, well, you got to go. But I knew my role, and I respected my role. I knew I was doing a good thing for the, for some of those guys. They respected me for it. And then I went to, uh, uh, you know, and I, I was booked every week. I made a lot of money. I got on on big shows. I, you know, like I said, the Omni, the Superdome, I worked on all these kind of shows. And uh, But I knew my role. I knew I wasn't going to be 6'5", and, and I wasn't going to be the main event at WrestleMania or the or a main event at the Omni. 
So I accepted that. I went out there with the right attitude, which is guys do not understand. You've got to go out there that match with the right attitude, and you've got to do it. If you've got to put a guy, you've got to put him over. You just got to do it the right way. You just got to go with the right attitude, and you know if he don't give you anything, so be it. But if he if you could work, they'll let you do it. I had a great match with Ric Flair. I don't know if you've ever seen that on TV, but uh, oh yes, I had a about an eight or I think the match was supposed to be about six minutes, and I think it went like ten or twelve. It was a shit match of the month. He scared me to death. I put him in a I put him in a figure four. I didn't know how to do it. Uh, I suplexed him over the top rope. I hit him. He went over the top rope backwards. I, I but he. He respected me. Uh, Flair was the kind of guy that would come in the dressing room in front of 18 or 20 guys, and he'd say, okay, come here and lock up with me, kid. Come here, kid. And he'd lock up with 15 kids. He'd say, I want to work with you. Because if you lock up, you know how to work. And that, and that's that. he he respected that, and he respected me. And uh, I had two or three, four good matches with him. And, you know, guys would say, man, I can't believe Rick Flair let you do all that. I said, he did, because I sure didn't do anything. I did what I was told, you know. You got to earn that respect in there, and I, I I knew my role, and I accepted it, and I I did it to the very best of my ability, and I'm still doing it today. You know, that's great though that he wanted to work with you, he liked working with you, and that he would make the match go a little bit longer because he enjoyed working with oh, you. Oh yeah, well he was the world champion. I guess he was going to do what he wanted to do, and uh, I just happened to be a part of it. I was I was tickled to death. You know, uh, I worked with him at probably at least four, three, four, five times, and then probably two or three times in tag with Arn and Tully or whoever the case might be. But uh, the guys respected you, but it was it not. It was because I, I knew what I was doing. I would I was I was going to be safe with them. I, I could get I could make them look like a million dollars, and I accepted that with the right attitude. You know, some of them guys would you know say, well, I, I can't do that. I I, I got to go to work Monday, and they'll all make fun of me. Well, ah, you're in the wrong business. You know, go to Walmart and get a job. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. what I tell them. Yep. Now, as far as kind of Ric Flair. And NWA and stuff. How did you actually work for them? Was that just from like being in Georgia? Then all of a sudden you could just work for you know NWA or work for the Crockett's? How did that? How well, did the Crockett's, the Crockett's were there with, with the Georgia Championship. They they had a big thing in the Carolinas too, so they all combined together. They were all working together, and I was working with those guys. And in '88, WCW came in and took over, so they kept a few of us there that they wanted. So we, I worked for them. Uh, the the main thing that that I did, you know, I. I I got two master's degrees. I don't know if you know that in education. I got two. I went to college, uh, played college ball. I got two master's degrees. I quit teaching school to, to do to do TV because I was working for uh, uh, Bill Watts uh, in uh, the in Louisiana and uh, in that area, and then I was working for uh, Dusty over in Florida doing Florida Championship. Then I was doing Georgia Championship, and a lot of them were doing it during the week. So I was I was working three, four, five days a week just doing TVs, and, and they were flying me here, flying me. I went to Puerto Rico for Carlos Colon because of it. So it worked out really, really great for me just, you know, uh, just do the TV. Just one TV led to another one, and then w, uh, w, uh, WWF called in 88. Uh, uh, yeah, WWF, Terry Garvin called me from WWF and said, hey, can you bring some guys and, and do some TV for us? So I worked for those guys for five years, you know, and made some good money. So it really helped me out just having the right attitude and just knowing my role. Quite an awesome journey and quite an awesome like thing to be able to be a part of not only, you know, with Dusty and the Crockett's, but also with WWF and the Vince McMahon kind of showed you. Like if you know your role, you can get booked everywhere and consistently exactly. and a lot and for a long time. So, I mean, that, that's something great as well. You can, can consistently stay booked. 
Well, it's a business, and that's what people don't understand. I understood it from the very get-go. I was about the dollars and cents. You know, I can buy a belt on the Internet and make myself a champion if I want to. You know, they're, they're, everybody in the world is a champion, you know. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's no wrestlers anymore. Everybody's got a belt, you know. But uh, I knew my role, and, and I just did the very best I could at it, had the right attitude, and people respected that, and it led to a lot of, lot of you know, a lot of bookings everywhere. And and then the TV when you're on TV, you know, like I said, everybody wants you. So you're independent, even if you're not on a big big main event spot, you're still gonna get some good bookings off those independent shows. So how did you get booked by WBF? You said Terry Garvin gives you a call. So is that just one of those things where he literally calls you? Go to the show, he's there, and, and he's kind of booking you. Or is yeah. there some? Or is there Pat Patterson also involved? Well, Pat Patterson else? was there, but I never, I never. Now he never called me. He was an agent too. Terry Garvin was an agent, and I guess he was responsible for the TV. But he would call me anytime they came south. Now I never did do WrestleMania or anything like that. But I did a lot of their shows. And if they ever came south, in you know anywhere in Mississippi, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, you know I did I did St. Louis, you know anywhere they needed some guys, and they say, hey, you know, you know, get Mike Jackson, he can bring us he can bring us fifteen guys for the TV, you know. The only the thing that killed us or killed me off on this thing was when the contracts came, you know. Everybody, when I go to WC or if I go to WWF, you know, the Hardy Boys or somebody like that might be sitting there for two or three days and not working because they didn't have a you know good spot for them, and then. The job guys, and I guess they got figured one day, you know, hey, we're paying these guys, they're not working, so you know, we we got to do something. So the contracts came along, and then we were kind of out out after that. But but uh, I, you know, I did it for about, I got about twenty years in of it and made some really good money, so I was tickled to death. You know, <laughs> I was happy. What did you think about working for the WWF? Oh, it was great. I mean, they uh, money wise, they were the best. They they were that they were without a doubt the very best uh, paying people of, of all. But uh. You know, you just didn't get too many bookings. You know, when they come south, like I said, I'd work, you know, I'd work once a month for them or maybe twice a month if I was lucky or, you know, once every two months, according to what they were doing, where their TVs were, you know. Wintertime, they came south a lot, you know, because the weather was a little bit better here. Do you remember remember some of the guys you worked in some of the matches you had? Oh, yeah. Danny Davis. uh, I worked with Danny Davis, uh, uh, the godfather who was – he wasn't doing the Godfather thing then. He was doing that, that crazy uh, uh, – I, I forgot what he called himself. But, uh, pa- yeah. What, Papa Shango? Yeah, yeah, Papa Shango. Yeah, I worked with him in Daytona. Uh, uh, the Indian, I can't think of his name either. Tatanka? Uh, yeah, Tatanka, yeah. I had some really good matches with those guys, yeah. So I, I pretty work, work, uh, pretty much worked with everybody at one time. Ted DiBiase, Duggan, you know, Ric Flair. The Road Warriors, pretty good mini. Yeah, man, you pretty much worked with anybody who's uh, anybody. Recently yeah. passed away, Butch Reed. I know you worked him yes. in uh, Mid-South. Yeah, him and Ron Simmons were the doom. I, they were in Mid-South a long time. I worked with them a long time in Mid-South. Yeah, they, they were really good. Yeah, I liked those. I liked Butch. Butch was really a good guy. It's funny. It's almost like who didn't you work with? You know what I mean? Because we were mentioning yeah. kind of Flair and Tully and Arn, who you had great matches with. But also yeah. Barry Windham as well. I mean, there are so many guys that you work with that you can kind of just name. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. literally wrestled everybody. And whoever was on that TV needed to get needed to get over. Yeah, I got a I got a show coming up uh, April the twenty fourth. They got a big wrestling superstar, as they call it, over here in Rome, Georgia. They booked me on it, and I they got uh, all the four horsemen. JJ, they got JJ and uh, uh, Tully and Arn and uh, Barry are going to be there. I'm looking forward to seeing them. I hadn't seen them in a long time. 
Now, me and Arn did something the other day. We went into this little Hall of Fame, one of the independent shows over here, uh, the Victory Championship Wrestling had a little Hall of Fame thing, and they put me and uh, Arn into it. So we, I saw him not too long ago, but I hadn't seen Tully in a long time. So you see all those guys. Tony Atlas is there, so I get to see a bunch of guys that I've worked with for years. I think you may have inspired Tully because he's going to be returning to uh, AEW in an actual wrestling capacity coming up. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Huh, that's good. Yeah, Tully was good. He was, he, he was a good one. And he's another guy that, I, if I remember correctly, you had a little bit of a longer TV match with him as well. I did. I saw one the other day. I was just flipping over the internet, playing on my phone, and saw one match with me and him from Atlanta TV. I, I didn't even remember it, but it was really it was a good match, and it was pretty long. Yeah, most TV matches were like four or five minutes, but you know the one with Flair, I think, was like eight or nine, and I think his was like eight or nine or ten somewhere around in there. So I, they would let you work if you could work. I mean, if it was a good match on TV, and that's what they wanted, you know, good TV matches, they'd let you go a little longer. Just take something out of somebody else's or something, you know. Yep, and that kind of shows that the crowd was believing in you that you could have that longer match with yeah. Tully and Flair and stuff, which is great. Yeah, yeah. It's hard not to have a good match with Ric Flair if you just shut up and listen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. He's good. <laughs> what did you think about Tully as a worker? You enjoy working with him as well? Yes, I did. Yes, he did. He was good. He and Arn. Now Arn and I really did a lot of independent shows together. Now Arn, Arn was from over in Rome, Georgia. Now he doesn't. I don't think he lives there now, but he was from Rome, Georgia. But uh, we did a lot of independent shows uh, back before he got a break. His first break, big break, was in well, Continental Southeastern, the Fuller up that, in that area. But uh, after that, yeah, he, we did a lot of shows together. So we were friends for a long time before he got the, the big push. When you're working, you know that area and that territory. Who's the, the guy to kind of book in for, for the Crockett? Is that Dusty at that point? Dusty was. Uh, Dusty was there. Oli did that, too. Dusty was in there booking a lot. J.J. Dillon had a lot to do with it. Uh, uh, Jake the Snake had a lot to do with it. Uh, they were uh, the, This were guys that I, when I was there. Uh, Ronnie West had a lot to do with it. Those, those were a lot of guys that just really had you know good brains and just – you know, just sit down and just put stuff together. Uh, they were really good to work with. Uh, they really were. What was your favorite territory to work? I would say probably the Georgia area. But now the best, the best, the best man I ever worked for in all my life, and and, and, there, and there was a lot of good ones. I don't mean to belittle any of those guys because they all the ones that I worked with over the years were great. But Bill Watts was probably my favorite all-time guy to work with. He uh. And I'll tell you why. He was so fair. Uh, if I wrestled there, if I went there and, and wrestled one of his guys that was regular, if he paid him $50, he paid me 50 If he paid him 100 he paid me 100 You know, you go to some places, and they'd come up with an idea and say, well, look, you're not, you're not full-time, and, you know, so we're going to give you half of what he's getting. Yeah, that, that's not what he did. Bill Watts was always fair. You know, I, I worked for him for about four or five years, and I really enjoyed working for him. Their territory was really, really big. I mean, that was, a, that was the longest territory driving, but, but uh, as far as drawing and stuff, he really did draw really, really well. And uh, he paid good. So I really enjoyed working with him. And I always had a meeting before the show, told everybody what he expected, sit down with everybody's individual match. But he was just strictly business. He's kind of like Ole, a lot, a lot of ways like Ole. Yeah, he's going to say, that's another guy that 
you know, they don't really hear too many negative things, but you hear some negative stuff about them or you, people didn't get along with them and stuff, but you're getting along with these guys and maybe other people aren't quite getting along with as well. Well, if, if you go back to the very thing we begin, we've been talking about. I get along with them because I did what I was told. You know, I mean, I knew what I was there for. I respected it. I did it. I did it to the very best of my ability. You know, uh, some guys probably thought, you know, hey, you ought to be getting this push. or ought to be getting this. ought to be getting that. And you know how it is. And, you know, that's one good thing about not being a big main event guy. You don't have to worry about anything but just, you know, just do what you're supposed to do. You know, I don't have to worry about putting people in the seats. I don't have to worry about filling up the building. All I got to worry about is just doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, it makes it a lot easier for me. And you're mentioning that Mid-South Territory being so long. What were those travel days like? Because I've talked to – Oh, gosh. Yeah, I've talked to Dutch Mantel about it. I've talked to Dr. Tom about it. He was just saying just a long, horrible yep. territory as far as the traveling was concerned. It, it was. It was definitely, without a doubt, the, the, the very biggest. The only, the only place I can remember would be just as bad as if you were working for the, back in the 70s for uh, either working for Jer- Jerry Jarrett or Nick Gillis, or either one of those. Uh, Jerry Jarrett had the Memphis Territory, and, and, um, and Nick had the uh, Nashville area. And uh, if you were in Memphis on Monday, you'd be in uh, Louisville, Kentucky on Tuesday. That was going from cross the, the whole map, it seemed like. But uh, they, they were really, really long trips, but they paid good. You know, I mean, it's just that's part of the work. That's part of the job. I tell guys all the time, if you, if you don't want to travel, don't get in wrestling. You're in the wrong business. <laughs> it's all travel. You know, they're not going to have any matches in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that kind of the that territory is that like a draining territory i know you said you loved it and you love working for watch but as far as i travel it seems like that may get exhausting yeah yeah it will that's why guys didn't stay there too many you know too many years uh it, it was tough uh but but uh, bill watch produced some really good jim duggan was there when i was there uh million dollar uh, ted DiBiase, million dollar man was there uh dr death steve williams Steen was there for a while I mean, those guys, he, he, he really just grew a lot of great wrestlers that went to different areas and, and even made bigger, big time. But he, he did a really good thing with those guys. He, he knew what he was doing. He was a great promoter. And I believe you worked at Midnight Express quite a bit. Oh, gosh, $100 million. Well, Bobby Eaton's not he, – he's, he's from Huntsville, Alabama, which is right down the road. I knew Bobby way before he got a push. He, was, uh, he worked around here in these areas, and he was always good. He had a, a partner named Marvel Hutto. And they uh they worked a lot of shows around here. I, matter of fact, I booked them a lot for independent shows and stuff. And then Bobby got up and got him a good push, and, and ended up with Dennis Condry and Randy Rose and Stan Lane. And, but uh, even though they might change somebody else from the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton was always one of them. He was one of the best. He was probably one of the, my top five workers in the in the entire business. Yeah, to me, easily one of the best. Just always oh, loved beautiful Bobby. Hey, and uh, Dennis is great too. I mean, yeah, Dennis, no Dennis was that. one of my top five. Yeah, Dennis was a little bit different style than Bobby, but everything Dennis did was believable. And you know, Bobby did all the high flying and all the all the the, the hard stuff, and, and Dennis did the uh, the uh, mat wrestling and the different things like he did. But he was good at it. Dennis was one of my favorites too. He's one of my top five all times. What about Jimmy Cornette? Did you like working with him? Yeah, uh, Jimmy. Jim and I had a, had a good relationship. I see him. At, I see him at several fan fest. We talked. Uh, he's he's good. Uh, you know, he's always uh, matter of fact, uh, after I did the impact thing, uh, they you know, they called him and so whoever does all that calling said, you know, hey, what do you think about Mike Jackson? Uh, 70 years old being on impact. And uh, man, he put me over like a million dollars. But uh, Jim, Jim was a good guy. If, if you could have a good match with the Midnight Express, he would let you do it. He would put that together for you. I mean, he, he was the kind of guy that wanted it to be a match. Now, if the guys couldn't work, 
uh, it, it, that's probably a squash match. But he did a lot of the, a lot of putting everything together. But uh, he's a brilliant man. Presses a lot, but he's a brilliant man. <laughs> I should say a few bad words too. But I've yeah, oh, a yeah. lot of fan fest. And of course, I mean, I mentioned Dennis, but you work Stan as well, who's no slouch. Yes, sir. Yeah, Stan was good. Stan came in. I, I don't know exactly. I can't remember exactly what happened. It's probably something behind the scenes. But uh, Dennis was out, and Stan came in, and took and him and Bobby became partners. I don't know what happened to Dennis. I, you know, I, I really don't have any idea. What did you kind of think just of that time period when you're talking about like the late '80s and WCW? Obviously, the NWA selling to Turner and, and changing. Did that affect you at all, or is it just business as usual, and it's like nothing changes for you? It's, hey, change of ownership, whatever, I'm still getting booked. Well, a little bit of both. It, it didn't It didn't change a whole lot when they first came in there. And I, I, when I, We call them the suits, and all these suits came in. It was a different group of people. We lasted a little bit longer, but the good thing for me is uh, if I wasn't going to Georgia, I still had uh, uh, Louisiana, still had Florida, still had uh, uh, Puerto Rico, I still had places to go, so you know I didn't miss a whole lot out of there. So I, it, it did affect me a little bit when the, when the uh, different guys came in, which I understand they wanted to change things around, get some different people in that TV that, that, that hadn't been beaten ever to death all the time. So I understood it, I accepted it, but it worked out pretty good for me. Yeah, Ted Turner comes in and you know turns it to WCW and buys it. Yep. So, it, obviously, you know, some of the things changed, but you, you did get booked. Maybe not as regularly, yeah. but you still would get booked there. Yeah, yeah, I still got some bookings because they still needed guys for TV and all that stuff. It's like I said, until those contracts came, you know, they always needed guys for TV. No matter where they got them, they still had to have guys. You know, and even if they didn't use me, because I had, like I said, 37 guys working with me, so everybody on that TV pretty much was coming from me. So even if they decided, well, we're not going to use him and his people for a while, they'd call back because after a while somebody, you know, my guys were dependable. They would show up. They would do what they were supposed to do with the right attitude, and, you know, not everybody would do that. So <laughs> bottom line bottom line of that thing was uh, they'd call me back if they didn't have me right there to begin with. So I no, had a spot. Gotcha. Yep. As we hit the wind down and head towards the finish, I got to ask this because, like I mentioned before, you've literally worked pretty much everyone that is anyone in the business. So now, Flair, Sting, the Road Warriors, yep. Tully Arn. Do you have some favorites? Maybe we talked about Eden and Condry, but do you have any other kind of favorite wrestlers or favorite um, matches or favorite opponents? Oh, yeah. I love working with Ric Flair. There was no doubt about that. I love working with the Rock and Roll Express. I love working with Midnight Express. Uh, that, that was just like a night off. I mean, you could have a great match. You know, uh, probably the best match I ever had in my life was with a guy named Alan Martin, one of the Rock and Roll RPMs. I don't know if you you, you know who those guys are. Mm -hmm. uh, they they uh, they were around Texas and different places, but had good matches with them. But, you know, I, I had some really, really good matches over the years with those guys. You know, spot shows and uh, not only just TV matches, but, you know, house matches and all that kind of stuff. I had some really great matches with them. And guys respected me and let me work. So, you know, I, I'd always, even if on TV, if I, if I was putting somebody over, I still did it right. I had a good match out of it. It wasn't a squash thing. It was, it was good. And you even worked Bob Backlund, Pro Wrestling USA. I mean, you I were really sure everywhere. Yeah, I worked with Bob Bach. The only time I ever, Bill After told me this, the only time I ever made the front page of a, sport, of a, of a, of a pro wrestling illustrated was uh, when I wrestled Bob Backlund in, in the Carolina. I think it was Spartanburg, Carolina, South Carolina. And uh, had a good match with him. Of course, he was just a little bit unorthodox for my style. But uh, as far as wrestling, I mean, it was we had a great match. But uh, he, he uh, 
he did really did real well. I mean, I was really impressed. He he was a good good guy, good worker, and an easy guy to work with. So I had a good time. Yeah. Is there anybody that you haven't worked with that you were like, damn, I wish I would have worked with them? You know what? Not not really. I don't know of anybody that I haven't uh, because you know if you go to those if you go to all those different TV five or six different major TVs, everybody that somebody's going to be there. You know, at one time or another, surely. So I can't I can't think of anybody that I never did. The only one I did, yeah, I, I won, Kurt Henning. I never got to work with Kurt Henning, and I always wanted to because I always thought he was so smooth, so perfect. Damn, you think you guys may have crossed paths and uh, maybe your short stint in, like, the AWA or something? or Well, I was, I was on a lot of shows with him. Yeah, I was on a lot of shows with him. They just never put us together. I was always hoping they would. Matter of fact, I asked him a couple of times. <laughs> I said, you, if you got a little pull in there, see if he'll put us together. And he'd say, okay, but we never did get to do it. So I, I don't know. I'd really like to work with him one time. He was always so smooth. Oh, one of the best. Easily. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, Definitely. one of the best. As far as kind of yourself, any regrets kind of looking back in the business? Well, I, I wish I would have been – yeah, I would love to have – I would love to have had a couple of things where I could <clears throat> maybe maybe got a push here. And I have people tell me all the time, "Well, yeah, you just never got the push." Well, I would love to have tried it. You know, I'd like to have had a push. And 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 of course, when I was first started, and I was full time, and and got that full time job uh, with Nick Gulas, uh, me and my tag team partner won the tag belt several times, and we did this several times. And you know, <clears throat> but I would love to, you know, been in one of the main events at, at WrestleMania or Omni or something like, you know, one or two times, just trying something, but. uh Never did get it, but that's, I guess that's my biggest regret. Just never did get that push, and I, I hoped I would got one day. When you think about your career and, and like, kind of looking back and then almost looking forward, it's one of those things where it's like, wow, I can't believe you know, you're still wrestling, you're still doing this. Is any thought goes through your head as you think about it uh, of retirement? Well, I think the good Lord will let me know when it's time to retire. Right now, I think I'm okay. Uh, I, I work out hard every day. I mean, I, like I said, I'm not real strong or nothing like that, but I, I'm, I'm in really good shape, and my, my, my physical condition is good. My doctor says I'm in pretty good shape, so I'm going to keep doing it until, I guess, the good Lord says, oh, it's time to quit. He'll let me know, I guess. Has there ever been a time where you thought about retiring? Oh, yeah. There's been a lot of times when I was mad after I didn't get paid right or something. I thought I was quitting. <laughs> but, no, as far as just retirement and just could totally, totally not doing it, no, never have. No. Well, that is a lot of passion and love for the business, to say yeah. the least. Yeah, I want to leave. The, I want to leave a good legacy with this business. I want. I want. It, it's been good to me, and I want to be good to it. As far as like your lasting legacy or your stamp that you kind of left on the business, what do you think people will think of when they look back and they look at Action Mike Jackson? I just want them to think that that he went out there and gave everything he had, did the right thing with the right attitude, and and uh, you know he made the business a better thing, better place. Do you think that when you you know people look at you and stuff, they're going to say adaptable can work, can wrestle, you know like that that kind of thing when they really look at it, like you can do whatever somebody says because you're going to listen, but you also have the ability to work. Yeah, yeah. You, you, I guess you're talking about maybe leading a match as compared to just following the match. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really feel like I can lead. I think I'm a leader with all the independent shows. I, I lead them all. You know, uh, uh, guys. Some guys can't, but I, I think I can. I think I've earned that right. I think I know how to do it. I think I've got the psychology to it. So I think I can lead a lot of good matches.
a few times in the interview you mentioned job guy. You said job guy or job yep. guys. Some people that I've noticed doing you know many interviews, they do not like that term. They hate jobber, job guy. Uh, I know. They, they either say carpenter or they say enhancement talent. But even yeah. enhancement talent, I think, sometimes rubs them the wrong way. Yeah. You're okay with that term. How come some guys just aren't okay with that term? Well, I, I guess because of the, what it sounds like. But but I, like I said, I, I I knew my role. I expected everybody wasn't going to be on top. I knew that everybody wasn't going. I knew I wasn't going to be on top. So the bottom line of that thing was, you know, I just respected it and I did it. Uh, and and that's what I was doing. I was doing a job. I mean, it, it's a job. To me, it was a job. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why uh, I did so well at it because I treated it like a business and like a job. You know, if they want to call me enhancement or carpenter or whatever they want to do, you know, that's fine. I'll take anything they want to say. But, you know, I was there just to, to do the job, and that's exactly what I did. And, I, and, I, and I'm happy with it today. If, they, if anybody asks me if I do it all over again, absolutely. You know, I, I do it. I might know a little bit more than I know now. It might, might make it a little bit better, but, you know, I, I would do it again. As far as kind of plugs and people maybe being reaching out to see you or social media, do you have some plugs out there so people can kind of see where you're up to? Yeah, I would love to. If if you don't mind, if you if if you'll pass my phone number out, I love working. If if anybody up in uh, uh you're in New Jersey, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, hey, I'd love to come to I, the only place I never came. Right? One of the very few places I didn't come was New York or New Jersey, anywhere up through there. I would love, I'd love to come up there and and uh and work a show for somebody. But if you'll give out my number, which is t if you can, I give it out on the air. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, it's two zero five nine three six nine zero five zero, and uh, I, I'm very reasonable. I, I, I'm not going to try to take an arm and a leg. I just love to come and work with. You know, get, I love to go different places. I've been, I've done all these Alabama towns for so many years and different things. I just love to go out and find somewhere different to go somewhere, you know, different to be around some other, uh, different fans. But uh, when I came to Philadelphia, I loved it. Yeah, it was really great. I was close to New Jersey, but I didn't get in there. But uh, anybody up that way, but I got DVDs. I got some really nice DVDs. I, I know you've heard of High Spots out of the Carolinas. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They they make all my DVDs. They're per, uh, professional made. I got matches with me and Ric Flair. And we got tag team with me and Jake the Snake and Jerry Lawler and Tommy Rich. And got some good stuff. Me and Ivan Koloff, Disco Inferno. So I've got some really good DVDs. If anybody would want one, just just call me. And I'll, I've, I've had several people do it. I'll ship it right to their door. And I've um, got some nice T-shirts and pictures and, you know, just anything that they like. And old tights, a lot of people. I, I didn't know so many people like tights until I started going to these fan fairs. People like old tights and boots. Yeah, that's true. They love the collector's item. You know, put them in their office and things like that. They love that stuff. Yeah, but I would love to come up that way and work with anybody. So if you keep my name around or if any promoters are listening to this and you yeah, would love to call me, you've got my phone number and you're welcome to give it out to anybody. All right, awesome. We'll do. Hopefully, we can make that happen, and hopefully, we will see you back on TV, whether it's Impact Wrestling or elsewhere, sometime well, <laughs> very soon. Let's just pray that this COVID ends all over the world, and we'll just be done with it. <laughs> yes, hopefully, ending very, very soon. We hope so, uh, Mr. Jackson. Thank you so much for all the time. Really appreciate it. I appreciate that. God's bless me, and God bless you. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. 
You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>